0: This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. For some... Traveling for work is one of those things where the novelty can wear off pretty quickly. Sooner or later, jet-setting to another city in business class on the company dime can become one of the least favorite parts of the job. It can be even worse for those who don't have impressive international offices to welcome them upon arrival. The reality is, when you head off on a trip for work, you can usually expect all kinds of inconveniences. The water pressure in the shower is never quite right. Flights can be delayed, rental cars can break down, and the food can sometimes be, well, terrible. Not to mention the hotels claiming to be four stars on the website, but actually look and smell like something out of a 1980s horror movie. And who doesn't love staying miles from anywhere with no services or amenities? Blame it on poor planning, bad luck, or mechanical problems, but work trips are rarely fun. It doesn't really matter whether you're flying the friendly skies or racking up miles on the road. Nothing is quite as comfortable as ending a trip in your own bed. Time away from loved ones and missing out on family events can, of course, only make long business trips worse. If the trip started with excitement for the adventure, it often ends with travelers dreading the next one. But no matter how bad a business trip goes, few people would ever expect to head off and not make it back. The savvy traveler takes reasonable steps to ensure a pleasant, if not at the very least, safe trip. Let's say the destination is in a new city, or that the accommodation is located in a part of town known to be a bit rough around the edges. The decision might be made to order room service, rather than venture out somewhere alone in the dark. But even then, the security at a typical hotel or motel isn't always, well, let's say, guaranteed. One minute you're in your room, winding down after a long day of travel, site visits or meetings, watching bad TV while deciding on what to order for dinner. The next minute, you're dead. On the evening of September 15th, 2010, 55-year-old Greg Flanagan headed to his hotel room for the rest of the night. He was staying at the MCM Elegante Hotel in Beaumont, Texas. Greg Flanagan was vice president for an oil company based in Beaumont, so for him, traveling was a big part of his job description. You could say the Elegante Hotel was almost like a second home for the oil executive. For almost 15 years, Greg's schedule had him traveling during the week, so he was well acquainted with the establishment. When the weekend came, he returned to Louisiana, where he and his wife Susie ran a bed and breakfast. The Elegante Hotel was a comfortable place for Greg to stay when he was away from home, and he felt safe there. But on the morning of September 16th, something about Greg's work trip didn't feel right to his wife. Susie knew something was wrong when she hadn't heard from him that morning. When Greg was away during the week, she made it a habit to call him every morning before he headed into the office. On this particular morning, however, there was no answer. When they had exchanged emails the previous night, everything had seemed fine. As the minutes passed, Susie became concerned and contacted Greg's co-workers, who told her that no, he hadn't turned up to the office yet. His colleagues were now concerned as well and decided to check in on him. They headed over to the hotel and knocked on the door of Greg's room, but there was no answer. With ears to the door, They couldn't hear the shower running or any movement at all coming from inside. They asked the hotel manager to open up the door for a safety check. The manager agreed, and the group headed back to the room. They were only moments away from making a shocking discovery. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. When the door to the hotel room was opened, they found Greg Flanagan lying face down on the floor, wearing his pajamas. No one was answering the door, so we went in the room and we found a body. At that point, we called 911. In one hand, he was holding a cigarette, which had been lit but went out before burning down. His jeans were lying nearby, along with his wallet. There was still around $1,000 found in one of the pockets. It didn't appear to be a robbery or that a struggle of any kind took place. A closer look at the room door showed no signs of a break-in. Aside from the dead body on the floor, the room looked perfectly normal. None of Greg's personal effects had been disturbed. The closet door was open, showing some of his clothes hanging inside, while a soda bottle sat on the night table. On the bed was a pack of cigarettes, a lighter, ashtray, cell phone, and chocolate bars. There were no obvious wounds on his body, and no blood on or around him. There was only a small bruise on his cheek where he hit the floor. But other than that, there was nothing to indicate that he had been attacked. The TV was on, and the air conditioner was off, even though it was a warm September, which made the room uncomfortably hot there was no sign of alcohol or drugs found in the room. At first glance, the death could have easily been written off as a case of natural causes. There was nothing there to suggest otherwise. As far as police were concerned, when they arrived to process the scene, things seemed pretty straightforward. According to hotel security footage, Greg was last seen on CCTV entering the hotel lobby at 5.03 p.m. Video shows that he didn't leave for the rest of the night. Records show that shortly after entering his room, he ordered a movie, Iron Man 2. Once he was inside the room, the door would have automatically locked behind him. No one could have forced their way in unless Greg opened the door himself. But again, it was clear there was no damage to the key mechanism or entryway. Also. There was nothing about the way his body was found to give the appearance that he had taken his own life. So, from the perspective of investigators, it was pretty cut and dry. It wasn't hard to make the case that his unhealthy habits may have had something to do with it. After all, Greg enjoyed a few vices. He smoked a fair bit and was said to actively avoid doctors, rarely getting a checkup. Factors which pointed to the possibility, if not likelihood. Of a heart attack. Naturally, investigators wanted to see if Greg had enemies or anyone who may have benefited from his death. But there was nothing in his personal life or business dealings that raised any concern at all. He'd been happily married and had a large group of friends. He was successful at his job and known to be a patient, kind, and generous person with an enthusiasm for life. Born the day after Christmas, 1954, Greg was one of four children. He grew up in Louisiana, and it was here that he developed a love for the outdoors. Over the years, he developed a passion for fishing and hunting. When Greg and his wife Susie opened the bed and breakfast, one of his favorite things was to serve their guests fresh meat and fish that he had caught himself. When he wasn't traveling for work or enjoying the outdoors, he could be found with his head buried in a good book. Greg was an all-around great guy, and for those who knew him, the sudden loss was heartbreaking. The autopsy was expected to be nothing more than routine, simply confirming that the 55-year-old had passed away from natural causes. However, during the examination, it was discovered that Greg had sustained a number of serious internal injuries. The damage was so extensive that it could only have been caused by blunt force trauma. Understandably, the medical examiner was surprised. On the surface, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. But internally, it appeared Greg had been the victim of a savage beating. The injuries included a ruptured heart, wounds to his liver, broken ribs, and a bruise on his scrotum. This would not have occurred from something like falling to the floor, which suggested something more sinister was at play. Greg had an entirely uneventful day at work, and returned to the hotel as usual, directly from the office. He settled in for the night with a movie, a chocolate bar, and cigarettes, as he normally did. He didn't order room service or receive any delivery from outside the hotel, He hadn't made or received any unusual phone calls on the hotel phone or his cell. Aside from a quick visit by hotel maintenance at 7.30pm for a minor electrical fix, no one had left or entered his room until he was found the next morning. Yet the evidence was clear from the autopsy that Greg Flanagan had been beaten to death. The medical examiner concluded that it was a case of homicide. Police had no suspects and no clues to point them in the right direction. Detectives announced a $50,000 reward offered by Greg's family for any information about his death. The next step was to find out who had been staying in the room next door to Greg the night he was killed. If they were lucky, maybe some of the guests heard something. Anything that could provide a lead. Hotel records showed there were three electricians visiting from Wisconsin, staying there at the same time. Like Greg, they were in town for work. When questioned by police, the men claimed they hadn't seen or heard anything that night. The men said that everything was quiet next door when they headed down to the hotel bar. With no leads to go on, Detectives turned their focus to the hotel maintenance worker who was the last person to see Greg alive. He reportedly told police that he had left Greg's room immediately after fixing the electrical problem. Also, he had a solid alibi, so was ruled out as a potential suspect. In the absence of any evidence or persons of interest, the case soon went cold. Devastated by the news that her husband had been savagely beaten to death, Greg's wife Susie was determined to find out who was responsible. She filed a lawsuit against the hotel and hired a private investigator to continue looking into the case. With the lead detective also on board, the pair went right back to the beginning to find out the truth about what had happened to Greg Flanagan. Robbery was eventually excluded as a motive based on the fact that Greg's wallet still had cash in it, and his cell phone was also found in the room. Investigators knew from speaking with his wife that Greg never turned off the air conditioner. As far as he was concerned, the colder, the better. Yet, the room was sweltering when Greg's body was discovered. This meant that if the air conditioner was off when the electrical issue was being repaired, Greg must have been killed shortly after it was fixed, if he didn't even have a chance to turn the air back on. The development provided an interesting timeline. Nearly eight months after Greg's death, in May 2011, investigators circled back to the guests staying near Greg's room at the time he died. This included the electricians who had been staying in the room next door. Tim Steinmetz, Lance Muller, and Trent Pisano. Police were hopeful that one of them might know something and was just trying to cover for one of their colleagues. When the three men were questioned for the second time, new information started coming to light. As the interviews went on, it was put forward that while the men were staying at the Elegante, a gun may have accidentally been fired in their room. Fortunately, none of the trio were injured. But when they returned to their room later the next day and saw police outside Greg's room, they realized the man next door may have been injured. They didn't say anything to authorities or to the hotel staff, and when they checked out, no one gave them a second look. When the lead detective and the private investigator returned to the scene and carefully examined the room and adjacent room, the pair found something interesting. In room 349, where the electricians had stayed, just to the right of the television, a small section of the wall had been repaired and painted over. It was covering a hole, which turned out was created when a bullet had fired through the wall into room 348, where Greg was staying. When tests were conducted using lasers to trace the bullet's trajectory, The results shed some light on more of the mysterious circumstances. Following its path, the bullet would have entered Greg's room, continued over the bed, striking the headboard about halfway up. If anyone had been sitting up against the headboard, like if they were watching TV, for example, it's likely they would have been hit. The only problem with this theory, aside from not finding the bullet or the complete lack of blood at the scene, was that it was also inconsistent with the medical examiner's findings. It was clear from the report that the cause of death was blunt force trauma, not a gunshot. In fact, no mention of a firearm was ever used in the case file. That was about to change. When the details of the autopsy were re-examined, it was discovered that Greg's internal injuries were caused not by a heavy object or a physical assault, but a bullet. The entry wound had not been discovered during the initial examination because there was no external bleeding and because of its location. What the medical examiner originally thought was a small bruise to Greg's scrotum was, in fact, where the bullet had entered. The spotlight was now squarely on the three men who stayed in the room next door it was clear that the electricians had not told investigators the full story. The group had done their best to avoid suspicion, which was a good thing for some of them. Lance Muller already had a criminal record for drunk driving offenses and wanted to avoid further interactions with law enforcement. Following the medical examiner's revision of the cause of death, Tim Steimitz was again interviewed about what occurred on the night in question. Tim, we know what happened. We know everything that happened down there. And and I, I realize you're trying to be noble and protect a friend, but you're about to get your whole family in a bind, and it's not worth it. After initially denying any knowledge of the shooting, he crumbled and told authorities what they already knew. Filling in the details, he told investigators that the three of them had been drinking heavily that evening. At one point during the night, Trent went outside to get a bottle of whiskey from Lance's truck. For some reason, he also grabbed Lance's 9mm pistol. Back in the room, with his judgment and reflexes impaired by a good amount of alcohol, Lance started playing around. With the safety lock disengaged, it was only a matter of time before the gun went off, which is exactly what happened. Once Tim and Trent realized neither of them had been shot, and that the bullet hit the wall instead, they decided to celebrate back at the hotel bar. Tim continued, telling police that when the men returned from the bar at around midnight, they heard the sound of a cough coming from Greg's room, but they didn't think much about it. If anything, it was proof that no one had been hurt in the room next door. He admitted that when police made their initial inquiries about the incident, he didn't say anything because he just wanted to protect Lance. After all, it was simply a horrible accident. Also wanting to avoid charges, during his interview, Trent corroborated the details of Tim's account. And he goes, yeah! And I went, oh! Like this. Oh, bitch! And I looked, and there was a hole, and it, it was smoking. Investigators considered if it was possible that none of the men were aware that the bullet had struck Greg in the room next door. That theory was ruled out, when detectives examined the wall separating the two hotel rooms. In the small area that had been repainted, investigators realized that hotel maintenance most likely did not do the work. When they looked closer, it was obvious the shoddy patch job was done not with plaster, but with toothpaste and toilet paper. It was clear the men knew a bullet had been fired, and even worse, they tried to cover it up. To their amazement, no one came knocking on their door following the loud gunshot. Nor did they go knocking on Greg's door to make sure everyone in his room was okay. At Tim's urging, 48-year-old Lance Muller turned himself in and confessed to accidentally firing the gun. I said, they probably are gonna come and get your ass. I don't, I don't know, but um, now that they know the truth and everything, um, she probably try to make some kind of effort, you know. Lance was taken into custody in June 2011. He was also facing charges of failing to report the incident to police. He admitted to being the one who tried hiding the bullet hole in their room with toothpaste. Appearing in court, Lance pleaded no contest to the charge of manslaughter. He was facing a sentence of up to 20 years behind bars. The court heard differing medical opinions as to how long Greg would have survived following the shooting. According to the medical examiner, Greg could have been alive anywhere from 30 seconds to 10 minutes. Another opinion stated that Greg could have survived for several hours after the shooting. Instead of being found on the bed where he had been shot, the court heard it was likely shock that forced Greg onto his feet. He was propelled forward as he stumbled towards the door, where he fell and died, still holding a cigarette in his hand. That October, Lance was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Even though the charge was manslaughter and not murder, the sentence reflected the gravity of Lance's actions in failing to check on Greg or alert hotel security or police to what happened. A judge has sentenced a man for manslaughter following a fatal shooting in a room at the MCM Elegante Hotel in Beaumont. Judge Lane Walker sentenced 48-year-old Lance Robert Muller this morning. He faced a sentence ranging from probation to 20 years in prison. Mueller and. Greg's widow, Susie, gave an emotional victim impact statement at sentencing. Speaking directly to Lance, she said... I have waited over two years to look you in the face, eye to eye, and simply have the chance to speak directly to you. You would have never come forward with the truth. You murdered him. No, you didn't intentionally seek him out to murder him, but you murdered him with every lie you told, with every intentional selfish deception, with every cover-up, over and over again. You saw his body taken out of the room in a body bag the next day. You knew you killed him. He meant nothing to you. You are finally forced to look at yourself. Look at your life that you still have, while Greg is reduced to powder inside of a box in the home he never came back to. You have met your match. I would have spent the rest of my life tracking you down. And I found you. Greg's murderer. I brought you to justice. I got to finally address um, my thoughts to this man, who had he simply come forward. This would have been a completely different, quote, accident and unfortunately when you don't make moral decisions, um, it causes other people, both of our families, including his. I saw after speaking to his father a little while ago that everybody has been through much torment and pain. Lance Muller's failure to immediately admit responsibility, and the resulting pain and anguish it caused Greg's family, is proof that honesty is usually the best policy. It's also a sobering reminder that sometimes, we're never as safe as we think we are. Make you feel right at home Honey, does it, does it well Keep me dancing a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back on January 4th with all new episodes. See you then.